the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It is always a joy to travel back to the Old Testament to take a look at all of the shadows that foreshadow or foretell the coming of Christ and what he would do and why. And among them, we can find Judges chapter 6 right at the top of the heap. Gideon the judge, and the message today is simply called Think It Through. We're in chapter 6 of Judges looking at verses 11 through 24 as Pastor Jesse Gastan reminds us of so many similarities between Gideon and Jesus, and those shadows are amazing to explore. Let's do so together. Here's Pastor Jesse, today's program. Don't fool yourself. When God saved you, he didn't save you to merely be for you. He saved you for you to be for him. Get the priority right. He saved you to put you on his team, not to put himself on your team. See, that's what Joshua had to learn back in Joshua chapter 6, did he not? Chapter 5, Joshua comes to the Lord Jesus. He's standing there with his sword drawn. And Joshua says, are you for us or for our enemies? And the Lord Jesus says, I'm for God. Now, where you at? Because this sword is drawn to let you know I'm about to do some separating. Because everything about our salvation is separation. Everything about our salvation is separation. So the other thing that Gideon demonstrates for us in our uh, first point is how he is now sent by the decree of God's will. This is the thing that the angel drove home when he said in verse 14, and the Lord looked upon him and said, go in this your might and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianite. Have not I what? So what he's saying to Gideon is, Gideon, this is not about you. I'm sending you, which means I'm going to go with you. And that's a beautiful thing, isn't it? So what we're about to see, you guys, are several lessons on how God prepares his people to serve him from the point of their brokenness and weakness. I hope you get the lessons. These lessons are, uh, they are what I call patternistic. They would work for you and me. It doesn't matter who we are. So uh, what Gideon does in response to that, we must touch on that briefly is look at verse 15, where he responds to the angel. He said unto him, Oh, my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am least in my what? Father's house. Quickly lift it up, put a parenthetical around that. That's how God works. God takes the weak things to confound the mighty. God will also take those who are least and make them most. The Lord Jesus fits both scripts, does he not? Then Jesus said, he who is least in the kingdom shall be the greatest. And was not Christ the least in the kingdom? And also was he not described as the weak one in the kingdom? So Gideon now is saying, look, in my own human empirical observation, 
I could never, ever see in myself overcoming a massive army of the Midianites, the Amalekites, and the children of the East. He could never do it. But that's how God works, because God will have you and I to know, don't add your strength to his strength. Your strength will cancel out his strength. By necessity, God will not allow you to share his glory by somehow having you think that you can bring something to the table to help God win the battle. If God's going to win the battle, it's because God's going to use you with an empty hand and an open heart and a willing mind and an available body. That's all he needs. He doesn't need your money. He doesn't need your intellect. He doesn't need your wit. He doesn't need your skill set. All he is going to do is say, are you available to work with me? And this is what I'm saying to young people. Young people, all you got to do is be available. That's all you got to do. Be still and know that he is God. You don't have to bring anything to the table. Lord, help my young people today. Now, no, on the resume of getting God to help you, let the whole thing be blank. But down at the bottom, write a few words. Are you ready? Lord, have mercy. I guarantee you God will fill out the application for you. And when he fills it out, it will be filled out with the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost all signing on to the task of building you up and making you capable of doing everything that God wants you to do because he will work in you the will and to do of his good pleasure. You believe that? Well, that's where Gideon is going. And so we see Gideon as a great type of the Lord Jesus Christ. Did not Jesus come out of Ephrathah of Bethlehem? Was not Ephrathah a little city? Was not Bethlehem a small city? It was famous, but it was nothing. And this is what Micah chapter 5, 1 and 2 explains to us. How is it that Messiah comes out of this place? Well, that's because God takes small things to make them great. Thank you. But thou Bethlehem of Ephrathah, though you be what? Little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come, shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, even from everlasting. Notice the paradoxical correlation of his human limitations over against his divine infinitude. Do you see it? His human limitations over his divine infinitude. What is that? He is coming out of one of the smallest tribes in Judah. Yet out of these shall come forth unto me, him who is to be the ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from what? eternity. Jesus Christ is God, yet he comes through the smallest tribe. That's the paradox of the gospel, is it not? The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And Gideon is going to serve that up. And any of us can fit this. Okay. The other thing I said to you, as I get ready to drill down into point number two, the series in the book of Judges is about a savior motif. And I said this to you, and I want to make this spread out again and and drop down into your lap. God never saves through multitudes and numbers of people as if for him, the deciding factor in his victory are multitudes. He doesn't use algorithms to determine his outcomes. God does not need a billion people. He doesn't need 330 million people. God can save with few or many. Is that right? And it's important for you and I to know that because if you don't have that category of a redemptive motif in your mind, 
you're going to collapse into humanism, which always says more is better. You're going to collapse into that. It's called politics, by the way. That's why most of my people are hoodwinked. Because, see, all you need is one more person and you win the vote. But you could be wrong and you could be operating against God. Am I making some sense? And so what biblical theology does for you and me is it teaches us categories that are, again, oxymoronic to our world system. God doesn't need you nor me, but he will use us. And he will use the most unlikely person to get the job done. That is the savior motif, is it not? That's what we're looking for in this crazy mess that we're going through right now. We're looking for God to intervene in a fashion and in a way that will get him glory and that will demolish the evil, diabolical agenda that's going on in our world. That's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for the Lord to save us. And even now, as I think about it, as I am somewhat in politics, as you know, one of the arrogant uh, commentaries or one of the arrogant expressions that goes on in our secular world, particularly in the world that is bent on not believing in a God. There's no one coming to rescue you. There's no one coming to rescue you. Have you heard it? I want to hear, I want you to hear this now. There's no one coming to rescue you. A poor Jewish brethren bought into that notion. There's no one coming to rescue you. One of the things you're going to hear me talk about in a little bit, as I say, learn how to separate the chaff from the wheat is to learn how to discern the lie from the truth, to learn how not to buy into false language, false narratives, false concepts, because the enemy knows if he can repeat a lie long enough, people will buy it. There's no one coming to rescue you. That is a lie from hell. Oh, the only thing that stands between that proposition and you is whether or not you believe that there is such a thing as a true and living God and a monarch, a theomonarch that runs the universe called Jesus Christ, who sits on his throne as the Lord of Sabbath and runs this world, who controls every king, every monarch, every prince, every ruler, every heart of every Lilliputian, and he can turn it whenever he wants to. He can raise them up and he can set them down and he can open doors and he can shut doors and he can advance his people and he can liberate and free them anytime he wants to. If you don't believe that, I feel sorry for you because your whole history is about a God doing things like that to liberate human human beings for his glory and for his praise. If you and I get trapped by the limitations of these false narratives, that means you're embracing the chaff and you have not separated it from the wheat of divine truth. So we look again at at point number uh, one in our final observation, not here long, signified by the acceptance of the sacrifice. Did we not enjoy verses 17 through 21 where Gideon said, look, stay here. Let me let me go get a meal for you. And he brought the meal at the patience of the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord said, bring it. Did he not? And he brought it. And what did the angel of the Lord do? He told him to place that meal on a rock and pour out the drink as a whole drink offering. And what did the angel do? He took his staff 
which is the word of God. And he touched it on the rock, which is Christ crucified. And the fire came up and consumed the sacrifice, which was a token of the one true and living God. Let the God that answers by fire be the true God. And the sacrifice was accepted in Christ who was crucified, confirmed by the word of the Lord that the one true and living God accepts our labors and our works only on the grounds of him who has already labored and worked for us, the Lord Jesus Christ. Did y'all get that? So now something really beautiful occurs that sets us up for moving forward. See, so now, please, young person, this is where you are. Please hear me. You are struggling. You need a revelation from God. Don't go to sleep, young person. You are struggling and you need that revelation to emerge into a manifestation of the triumphant person of Christ because he's the mediator between you and God. He's the one that needs to approve you for moving forward. And this is why what Gideon did in our text was so absolutely beautiful. Look at it over in verse 23, uh, verse 24. Then Gideon built an altar there unto the what? And called it Jehovah Shalom. Unto this day, it is an opera of the Abizrite. Now notice what he does. He has now dedicated to the one true and living God an altar because he's at peace with God. Is that important? Peace, meaning he knows now in a very tangible, visceral way that not only is God with him, God is for him. Gideon has been strengthened by a revelation of Christ and a revelation of God's approval of him. So now Gideon is ready to go, is he not? You and I need to get the lesson. If God is calling you and me to a task, what I want to know is that I am at peace with God and God is at peace with me. And Christ is our peace, is he not? So I have a peace in his person, but I need a peace in my heart. I need the spirit of God to let me know I'm all right with him. That's his job because it could very well be that while I have peace from God. I may even have peace with God. I may not have peace in God. My rebellion may keep me from that. Y'all know that. So what we want from God to do is to bring us into fellowship with him where we reconcile so that we can prepare to go forth in his purpose in our life. Since he has already promised, I will what? Be with you. So now that we got that, here's what I want you to do now. I want you to think with me about what Gideon is being prepared for. It's called the mandate to separation symbolized. That's point number two. I'm going to quickly work through these six points. The mandate to separate symbolized. I'm going to come back again and deal with the whole verse, but I want to start back at verse 11, part C. Gideon was threshing wheat by the wine press, and he was doing it to hide it from the hoop. All right, so in, in the English grammar, it's a little bit subtle, 
But this is a beautiful thing, and we're getting ready to flesh it out, and I want you to see some optics. I actually uh, uh, had some pictures prepared to show you what this threshing of the wheat was. If you have them, I want them to run now in our PowerPoint. Did we get those up? I think we did, Tan, right? Can you, can you run the models? I want to just show these models one by one uh, so that you can see the visual before I go to preaching. The models on the PowerPoint of threshing wheat. I just want you to capture it. So this is the first one. What they do in the Middle Eastern cultures, as you know, when they gather in their wheat, they've got to beat that wheat because that wheat has to be separated from the what? Right now, have you ever eaten wheat and chaff together? I have. It's just not all that pleasant. And there's a, there's a lot of reasons why you shouldn't. But I'm showing you what it looks like for them in, uh, even in those cultures today. He's taking bundles of wheat and doing what? Pounding it. Is he pounding it? And he's pounding it to separate the chaff from the wheat. Y'all got that? Do you see that? Next visual. Look, they're doing the same thing. However, what he's doing now is taking the wheat and scooping it up and allowing it to be sifted by the what? By the wind. Now, Gideon doesn't get the privilege of air condition because he's hiding in a wine press, which we will talk about in our third point. Right now, what he's doing is beating on the wheat to separate the chaff from the wheat. That's called work. That's called labor. That's called intentionality. That's a goal-oriented work and task to have an outcome that's productive and beneficial for you. Gideon is being taught by God how to deliver God's people. Look at the next one. Here it is. It's an individual. Look like a terrorist, but that's okay. They're doing the same thing, are they not? Right. So you and I get our wheat already processed, already turned into bread, already done, but somebody had to labor for it, didn't they? That's a picture of the gospel. You and I get the gospel of the bread of life in Christ already prepared, but he labored for it. He went through this. Do you understand that? Except a corn of wheat grow, go into the ground and die. It abides all by itself. But if it dies, it'll bring forth what? Much fruit. He harvests and then he processes the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation, and he communicates a finished product to you and me by the preaching of the gospel. Did y'all get that? I am the bread of life. If any man eats of me, he will never hunger again. We thank God for actually working out the whole process. Give him glory. Right. We thank him for that. Don't we? That's why, that's why Stephen was saying earlier, we need to stop all this complaining. Because God has been good to us who are saved people. God has done the work. God has cooked the bread. God has served it up. Didn't you hear him? You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Right. He did it all. He does it all. And we ought to be thanking him for it. But what we're dealing right here with is a lesson on separation. And it carries many connotations and you must get it. Remember, the title of our message is what? Think it through. So under your subpoints, under point number two, the mandate of separation, there are six obvious things. One, when you see the separation of wheat and tares and wheat and chaff, what you're looking at is an eschatological prediction of our ultimate salvation. 
You do know that the Bible teaches us in the gospel of Matthew chapter 13, verse 30, on the last day when Christ comes back, he's going to take the chaff of the wicked and burn them up. And he's going to take the wheat of his elect and bring them into his barnery. Do you know that? So it ultimately describes our final and total salvation. Let both do what? Grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, gather ye first to tares, bind them in bundles to do what? Burn them, but gather the weed into my barn. There, there's a lot of lessons around that concept that you and I have uh, to afford us. Look again at Psalm chapter one, verse four. Now, you know, Psalm one. It's a picture of Christ, who is the tree of life, but it's also a picture of the believer. We are like trees planted by the rivers of living waters only in Christ, right? Then you have what is called the contrasting statement in verse four. But the wicked are not so. The ungodly are not so. But they are like the what? Which the wind drives away. So what you're seeing with Gideon is he's learning how to do something our outline is going to lay out called discernment. It's the process of learning how to discern truth from error, fact from fiction, falsehood from reality. Y'all got that? That's what that brother's doing, and that's what every young person must do if they're going to survive the chaos and confusion of our culture today. So under point number two, the mandate to separate, symbolized by the harvest salvation through separation here, uh, the, uh, the, the psalmist is laying out, go back to Psalm 1, 4, please. The psalmist is uh, laying out a real, real ominous outcome for which you and I need to be careful. Look at verse 5 and then finally 6. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the what? Nor sinners in the congregation of the what? I painted this optic a couple days ago. I'm going to give it to you now because visuals help young people. The wheat chaff metaphor describes every one of us in the cultivation process of God's purpose in this world. Either we are the chaff or we are the wheat. And it will never be known until enough trials are brought about in our life for the wheat to have to go through the separation process. So when wind is used and wind are trials, when wind is used, what happens is there's a revelation as to whether or not we are chaff over against the wheat because the chaff blows away in the wind. When the wind of lies and the wind of false doctrines and the wind of fabrications come and the wind of error, people who are not really woot, uh, really weak, they get caught up by the wind and carried away. Do you know what I'm saying? Read it for yourself, Ephesians 4, verse 14. Stop being children. Grow up. I could land on that subject and talk about how my culture, the world I live in right now, you hardly meet any grown-up people. Everybody is operating out of a hyper-emotional identity that's rooted in an adolescent mentality of complaining and bickering and murmuring without reason, without rationale, without understanding. It is an amazing phenomenon to behold. And so God tells us, don't you be like that. Don't you be tossed to and fro by every piece of propaganda and every piece of news and every piece of idea and every assertion that comes out of the mouth of this world system. Don't you be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, by the cunning slate of men who lie in wait to deceive you. Because if you are, you're the chaff. When you're chaff, that means you're light. 
The chaff is light. It has no substance to it. The wheat has substance. And when it has substance, when the wind blows, the wheat falls down. The chaff blows away. If you're wheat, that means God is in you. Christ is in you. The hope of glory. You got some word in you. And when the wind blows, it will shake you up, but it won't blow you out. As a child of the living God, you drop down. You drop down. You drop down into the providential care of God. Now, it doesn't always feel good as you are dropping down, but you are dropping down because the Lord resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. And when he brings you down, he brings you down to safety because he saved you for his glory. Uh, Very clear in the outcome of the, so you got what is called here the sifting mode. You can do that yourself. You can take a sifter and you can put wheat in it and you can sift it and it will separate too. There is in the micro mesh of that sifting, really threshing. It's just in a micro dynamic way, okay? But real threshing is a beating. That's why when God's sanctifying you to separate you unto himself, it don't feel good. We are out of time today. We'll close our program out here and pick up where we left off next time we're together here on Way of Grace with Pastor Jesse Gastand. Thank you for spending a few minutes with us today. We trust it was profitable in your walk and relationship with Christ. Our goal here at Way of Grace is to make sure that you are growing in Christ, that you are living a life worthy of the calling that has been placed on your life from the gospel. If you have questions, comments, prayer requests, as always, you're welcome to reach out to us here at Way of Grace. Our phone number is real easy. You can reach out to us at 510-886-9782. That's 510-886-9782. You can also reach us at our website, grace-bible.com. And you can email us from that website as well as find out more about us, who we are, what we believe worship opportunities. In fact, our worship opportunities are really quite simple. Sundays at 1030, we meet here at the church in Hayward. We also have a Friday evening Bible study at 630 and then a Tuesday evening prayer and Bible study at 630 as well. For more information, again, grace-bible.com or call 510-886-9782. Reach out to us by mail if you want to write 22768 Main Street. That's 22768 Main Street, Hayward, California. The zip code is 94541. As always, it's a pleasure spending time with you here in God's Word, growing in His grace. Until next time, may Christ be your way of grace. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.